Another Wendell Wallace production. I want to thank everybody for listening to my podcast. YouTube, iHeart, Amazon, Spotify, anywhere where you listen, watch your favorite podcast. Sit back, relax, enjoy, and listen as I do it, and I do it, and I do it so goddamn well. Special dedication for those across the nation listening to this podcasting sensation named Wendell's World in Sports, a podcast talking about what is happening in the everyday of sports in all sorts of ways, angles, viewpoints, and positions, making it the best podcast you can listen, which is my mission. So I choose to accept these responsibilities that come with the territory to tell a story of how my podcast is more clutch and game winning than Robert Ory. So I must kill the competition with the ruefulness of a Richard Kluklinski so I can bang out the hits like I was Carl Yastrzemski. Like Giannis in the open court, you can't defend me loving the inner strength and beauty of Sarah Hyland of Modern Family. Oh, it becomes quite tiresome, always crossing over the competition like Georgetown's own Allen Iverson, defending my crown like my man Canelo. Step to me, you'll end up being one hurting fellow. I'll knock you out more viciously than Leon Edwards did Kamara. Your heart and feelings will be full of sorrow knowing that my podcast is the best since yesterday, today, and tomorrow. My podcast is worth over a million, while yours is nothing but a penny. Given my sports insights for your listening delight, I'm more Omega than Kenny. Like the cleaner, I change my demeanor when speaking on sports that affect our society with a variety of thoughts and beliefs. The entertainment of my podcast will never cease. So when it comes to Wendell's World in Sports, watch, listen, follow, subscribe, rate, review, and most importantly, enjoy anywhere, anyhow, and anywhere you listen to your favorite podcast. Sports fans of all ages, faces, and places from every stadium, arena, and auditorium all over the world. May I have your attention, please? What well, time's coming when we're going to have to handy up? Handy up and kick in like men. Like men! It is now time to bring to your listening ears, hearts, and minds a sports podcast named Wendell's World in Sports with the one and only Wendell Wallace. Tell him how you feel. A podcast that gives you strong, passionate, unapologetic, uncompromised thoughts and opinions about the everyday happenings in the NFL. Mahomes looking to flip, takes it in for the touchdown. And college football to the NBA in my Georgetown Hoyas. Giannis fires one down and an exclamation point for Milwaukee. To any other sporting news of the day. And now, introducing the man whose love of sports was born and bred on the greatest Muhammad Ali, Lynn Baez, Magic Johnson, Bernard King, and Eric Dickerson, Wendell Wallace. Yeah, it's been a long time. I shouldn't have left you without a strong podcast to step to. Think of how many weak podcasts have slept through. Time's up. I'm so sorry. I am so sorry I kept you. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host. Wendell Wallace, so glad that you could be with us. A lot of things to get down on and discuss today in the World of Sports. I apologize. Once again, no excuses. Um, last week, I was dead tired. Work wore me out. And uh, because of that, I just didn't have the uh, gumption. I just didn't have the 
energy. I just didn't have the drive. I just didn't have the focus. I just didn't have the ability to uh, produce a podcast. That is going to change. I know that I've been working at my new job since October, and I'm still trying to get my ABCs to match with my one, two, threes, and all that other good stuff. So uh, I can get into a routine where Monday through Friday I can go ahead, start working out more, get into the um, podcast more, which I will, which I will. And it starts today. So I thank you so much for your patience. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. A lot of things to get down on and discuss today in the world of sports. If you like what you're listening to, as always, your favorite places where you listen to your favorite podcast, iHeart, iTunes, Spotify, Amazon. If you would, please, if you could just go ahead and if you could just download, subscribe, rate, review, most importantly, enjoy the most unique, entertaining, thought-provoking sports talk podcast named Wendell's World of Sports. Man, that would be great. A lot of things I'm going to get into. I've got to get into the new season in terms of the NBA playoffs. They are here. In fact, I'm recording this on a Tuesday afternoon as the Atlanta Hawks and the Miami Heat play later on tonight. We're going to be discussing or we're going to be watching or I'm going to be watching the Minnesota Timberwolves and the dysfunction that is now the Minnesota Timberwolves. Those fighting Timberwolves uh, play the Los Angeles Lakers, the resurgent Los Angeles Lakers, the favorite Los Angeles Lakers. The LeBron James Los Angeles Lakers, the Austin Reeve playing him playing his way out of a contract extension with the Lakers. Lakers, those Lakers. I'm going to be watching. I'm going to be closely watching this playoff series, watching these teams in the Western Conference, watching these teams in the Eastern Conference. A lot of stuff that I want to speak about concerning that. I will get into on the program. I want to even talk about rekindling my relationship with the game of baseball. You know, it was a situation where if you had a bad breakup with somebody, it's, it's almost like a situation with uh, Kobe and Shaq. It's almost a situation like Isaiah Thomas and Larry Bird. It's almost a situation like Isaiah Thomas and Magic Johnson. So it's almost like a situation where they had this great friendship. They had this great love affair. I didn't, Isaiah Thomas and Larry Bird never did. But uh, Kobe and Shaq and these type of things, they did great things together. Then they fell out of favor. Then they came back. And then they reconciled. And the relationship was never never the same it was never going to be the same but there was a level of respect there was a level of all right i ain't gonna fuck with you you ain't gonna fuck with me one of those type of things it's the same way with me and uh baseball it's almost like your ex right you know you you uh marry your ex you think that she's the one you think you're the one or she's the one that's going to uh be with you the rest of your life you think that he's going to be the one that's going to raise your children and all those type of things things don't work out the relationship or the divorce was acrimonious but then you know you come to an understanding that yeah you're never going to be that person that I once thought of but there's a common ground of respect that I can offer to you for the sake of the kids for the sake of everybody else that's almost like my situation now when I speak about baseball when I speak about my relationship with baseball when I speak about where is my relationship right now concerning my love my uh, my my thoughts and my opinions about the game of baseball in a positive way. I'll get into all the, all of that also when we're speaking about what's happening in the world of sports. But I want to start 
with this. Notice I didn't mention anything about the NFL. Why? Because Lamar Jackson still hasn't been traded. And I don't give a damn that Odell Beckham Jr. signed a one-year contract with the Baltimore Ravens. I'm not biting on that line, you know. I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to talk about, oh, Odell Beckham signed with the Baltimore Ravens. What does that mean now for Lamar Jackson? Let's go 25 minutes or 30 minutes like, like, like the Mike Greenberg show and talk about uh, and talk about Lamar Jackson. Is he, is he going to be traded? Does he still want to be traded? What does this mean for his relationship with the Baltimore Ravens? Is he going to be back at the quarterback next year? Hey, man, unless something concrete comes along, unless something that's really meaty on the bone i'm not going to touch i'm not going to touch it i'm not going to speculate because i don't give a flying fuck about that bullshit in april when it comes to the nfl the only thing that i care about april when it comes to the nfl is the nfl draft and i've already talked about the nfl um, prospect quarterbacks at nausea with, with Bryce Young, Anthony Richardson, uh, Will Levis, and CJ Strauss. So no, I'm not going there. And no, I'm not going to be speaking about Brett, um, Aaron Rodgers going to the New York Jets. No, 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 no. So that, there goes my football take. For all of those who want to uh, hear me talk about 45 minutes worth of Aaron Rodgers going to the New York Jets or an hour and a half of Lamar Jackson going to the, I don't know, whoever. No, I'm not going there. I already discussed Lamar Jackson. I already discussed Aaron Rodgers. So, no, I'm not going there at all. But I do, again, want to speak about one of the most pivotal moments in the women's sports. I want to speak about what is happening in women's sports. I want to speak about women's sports in the culture. I want to speak about maybe possibly a historical time when it comes to the women's movement via way of women's sports. That's what I want to talk about. I want to go back to women and I want to talk about something that I probably never ever spoke about on any podcast, on any radio show that I've ever done in my 20 plus years of broadcasting. I am going to be speaking about the women's college basketball championship because for the first time, I don't know, maybe ever, Maybe there's some anecdotal evidence that shows to the contrary, but for the first time probably ever, or at least in my lifetime, or at least in me being cognizant of a sports fan, the NCAA Women's Basketball Championship game and aftermath of that game, the surrounding storylines of that game, the attention given to the star players of that game for the first time in my watching sports of over 35 plus years, completely overshadowed the men's basketball championship game. One shining moment, it wasn't on the men's basketball championship between San Diego State and the University of Connecticut with Connecticut winning that championship. The attention, the spotlight, the conversation was given to the women's NCAA basketball championship game. Uh, Represented the biggest game uh, television audience for a women's college basketball game when you're speaking about the um, championship game between the LSU Tigers and the Iowa Hawkeyes. LSU won their first NCAA Women's Basketball Championship winning 102-85. 102 points. Very nice. In fact, the 102 points, that was the most scored in women's in the uh, women's national championship game history. Reese, uh, let me see the Bayou. What's her name? What, what do they call her? 
Uh, Angel Reese, the the Bayou Barbie doll or some nonsense like that, finished with 15 points and 10 rebounds. Of course, as we all know, this game was between really LSU and Iowa, but of course the star players, Caitlin Clark, along with um, Angel Reese. Uh, Reese finished with 15 points, 10 rebounds. Clark had 30 points and 8 assists. It was Reese's 34th double double of the year, the most ever by a player in a single season. Both players started the game strong. Reese was getting to the rim at ease early in the game. Picked up seven quick points. Clark finished, uh, started off shooting four for five from behind the arc. I guess you could say Clark, the way she plays, or at least the way she looked like she plays, I guess she's what, this generation Diana Taurasi? If you want to say both Clark and Reese found themselves in foul trouble early and were forced to sit. And the game was great. The game was awesome. LSU jumped out to a big lead. Iowa cut it to seven, I believe, in the fourth quarter. But LSU withstood the rally by the Hawkeyes, and they won themselves the championship. But of course, that was not the that was not the number one story. That was not the foundation. That was not really what brought people's attention to the game itself. The aftermath of the game involving the women's athletes. I guess you could say. Caitlin Clark and Angel Reese, why they um, got the spotlight shown on them so much? Because basically they started acting like their male counterparts. Reese was uh, met with criticism after trolling Iowa Hawkeye star Caitlin Clark during the championship uh, final. During the game, Reese did the John Cena, you can't see me hand gesture against Clark. Because really, if you're going to get any criticism, really, John Cena? You couldn't go up to uh, Caitlin Clark and go, woo, and do the strutter or something like that. You couldn't go up to Caitlin Clark and say, if you smell what Angel Grease is cooking, you couldn't say, you know, uh, you, and I don't know, uh, you couldn't stone cold stunner or something like that. You couldn't go up to Caitlin Clark after the game was over and say, and that's the bottom line because Angel Reese said so. You You had to do John Cena. You had to do John Cena. You couldn't even go up to Caitlin Clark and go, "Ooh, yeah!" You, Kate, of all John Cena, John Cena, really, you couldn't even you couldn't even go up to her and do an MGF and say, "I'm better than you, Caitlin," and you know it. You couldn't do any of that. You had to do John Cena anyway. She was being criticized for that during the press conference earlier that week. Reese, who's from Baltimore, Maryland criticized or responded to her critics and pushed back against the overwhelming backlash she said she received throughout the season. In fact, what she said was, and I'm going to get into this in just a second because I think at the time, while she what she said was right, I do believe what she said was also wrong when she said this. I'm too hood. I'm too ghetto. Y'all told me that all year, but when other people do it, y'all don't say nothing. So this is for the girls that look like me. This is going to speak up. Uh, this that's what's that's going to speak up for what they believe in. So what she's talking about is that you know she's from the hood, she's from Baltimore, she's from the ghetto, she's from the black community. So the environment raised her that way. That folks, this is how folks in the black community from the hood, from the ghettos, where we're speaking about Baltimore, whether we're speaking about uh, D.C. back in the day when I was growing up, back some places in Southeast and such, whether we're speaking about uh, Inglewood, whether we're speaking about, uh, you know, Chicago, whether we're speaking about anywhere where there's a large contingent of 
black folks living in a community. We always have to somehow, some way equate the black experience with ghettoism and with hoodism and with that type of nonsense. When there's plenty of places, there's a, I live in a neighborhood out here in, uh, in uh, Las Vegas, out here in Centennial Hills, where my neighbors are black, people down the street are black. There's plenty of black folks out here who are black, and uh, this ain't the hood. This is a pretty nice neighborhood. In fact, this is a very strong middle-class neighborhood that I live in. So this is a large contingent, not as many as far as being in the hood or being in the ghetto or anything like that, but I, 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 I just don't like when we always have to equate Black folks acting like black folks, you have to be from the hood. You have to be from the ghetto. And that's one of the things that I take a little bit of offense with um, Gabby Reese, or sorry, Gabby Reese, with uh, Angel Reese when she said that, you know, I'm too hood, I'm too ghetto. Uh, Y'all told me that all year. I don't know who told her that all year. I don't don't know the boldness of a reporter that would say Angel Reese is too hood or too ghetto. Um, There are ways to say that with really saying the same thing. Um, but you know, this isn't Curry Kirkpatrick calling the Georgetown Hoyas back in 84 with Michael Graham and Patrick Ewing and John Thompson and, and, um, Sleepy Floyd and not Sleepy Sleepy was already off the team. He graduated in 82, but Michael Graham and, uh, Billy Martin and Michael Jackson and Patrick Ewing and David Wingate and Reggie Williams and John Thompson at the coach and Horace Brognesk. You goddamn right. I still remember that Georgetown basketball team, Biatches, that, uh, Curry Kirkpatrick or Sports Illustrated called them thugs and all that type of stuff, we have elevated, we have grown a little bit to the point where you can't get away with that type of language. Uh, But uh, yeah, there's other code words to use for those who are privileged, for those on the other side of the tracks who really don't have any type of communications, who really don't have any type of knowledge, who really don't have any type of awareness, who really don't have any type of understanding of black people, the black experience and everything that black folks go to. Just a small, minute point of it that sports writers and other writers when they want to make disparaging um, racial remarks they don't have to come out and be so bold to say um, you know Gabby uh, sorry, God, God, strike two. Angel Reese is too hood or too ghetto that's not how they do things when they want to uh, show their racism without showing their racism there's other ways to do that but she's up there talking about so I'm quite sure um, when Angel Reese was talking about I'm too hood and I'm too ghetto, what she was speaking about was the words and the accusations and the comments and the things that were written to say other than she's too ghetto or she's too too hood, but there's other things to be speaking about. And that comes to the way that she was acting. Where she was right when you're speaking about Angel Reese, uh, yeah, double standards do exist when it comes to the actions of black women. I mean, we speak about, you know, the black man in this country faces some rough shit every day. Uh, I know, I'm one of them. Um, but, uh, you know, even worse than that is the, the black woman. The black woman has it much rougher, much tougher. They face much more criticism. They're held to a much higher double standard. The hypocrisy when it comes to black women in terms of what the American dream is all about is much rougher. As much as we speak about black men and police brutality and all the other things, the criminal justice system and all those things that face black men, just the everyday racism when it comes with being a black man facing the ignorant stereotypes that have been cast upon us or some of the labels or some of the actions or some of the words or some of the gestures or 
just the bullshit that we have to go through when we're speaking about living in this country and being a black man. The black woman has it worse than the black man does. Um, so yeah, Gab, um, Angel Reese was gabbing was 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 uh, gabbing it right when she was speaking about the actions. Um, the double standards that do exist when it comes to uh, black women. I mean, hell, I remember Serena Williams. I remember a long time ago, man, when I was doing my uh, when I was doing my radio show, <clears throat> KDUS AM ten sixty to Deuce. Back when uh, Serena and Venus uh, first came onto the scene, and um, you know, you still had Jennifer Capriati, you still had Lindsay Davenport, you still had Anna Kornikova, you still had I think I mentioned Jer- Jennifer Capriati, right? I mean, um, um, Steffi Graf. And Monica Sellis, that generation was kind of easing the way out. So that next generation of the Williams sisters and Kornikova and Capriati and these gals were coming on. And I remember being on the air in Phoenix, Arizona. And I remember, you know, this is when it was a, it, it was the hype or it was the height of Anna Kornikova. Everybody thought Anna Kornikova was so beautiful. And oh my goodness gracious, Anna Kornikova. And Anna Kornikova was supposed to be so sexy. And I don't give a damn if Anna Kornikova doesn't live up to all the hype that she has. And I think it's horrible that double standards because she looks so good. And that's the only reason why. And Anna Kornikova this and Anna Kornikova that. And I was the only one who would go on the air and say, y'all can have the Anna Kornikovas. I'll take Serena Williams' Seven days a week, 25 hours a day, 366 days out of the year. Y'all can have that skinny old thing, Anna Kornikova. Give me Serena Williams. Give me that, give me that woman with some, with some thickness to her. Give me that woman with her thighs. Give me that woman with her backside. Give me that woman. Woo, give me a little, give me Serena Williams. And she's sexy to boot as far as looking is concerned. And of course, jackasses out there were sitting up there talking about, well, Wendell, you're playing a race card and you, there's just no way that you could think that Anna Kornikova is not better looking or not more attractive or not sexier or not more desirable than Serena Williams and I said you motherfucker can have all this you you guys can have the Anna Kornikovas that's fine I never said the bitch was ugly I didn't know that route I just said that I'm not having uh, Anna Kornikova but it was a perceived notion that how dare um, Wendell speak about Serena Williams being sexier than Anna Kornikova because Anna Kornikova is what uh, beauty is stereotype is supposed to be right Pale skin, blonde hair, blue eyes, and skinny as a rail. Don't give me that nonsense. Mm-mm. Give me somebody with some thickness. If I'm fu- if I'm hanging on the edge of a cliff, and I'm the only thing that's stopping me from falling all the way to the bottom to my death, do I want a twig to keep me from falling, or do I want a branch, or do I want a tree? To keep me from falling. Because if I'm at the edge of a cliff. Over that cliff. And I'm hanging on the end of Kornikova. Man I'm breaking that. I'm snapping that bitch. She's too skinny. She's too small. But if I'm hanging on the Serena Williams. Man I can hang on there all day. Especially if I'm grabbing on the certain body parts. If I'm grabbing on the certain body parts of Serena Williams. I don't ever want to be let go. Let me stay up there hangling and dangling over that over that ledge. For a long period of time. So. You know, for for me, you know, I I like them thick, black, Asian, and gorgeous. So I mean, you know, don't don't that was my deal. So so yeah, yeah, there there is a double standard when it comes to that nonsense. And Serena Williams, again, one of the greatest athletes, male or fame, female, in professional sports history, had to go through that bar- bullshit because she did not fit the role, because she did not fit the model of what beauty was supposed to be. 
this was a situation where, you know, during one of the greatest seasons that she ever had as um, uh, in, in her dominance as a tennis player, they were sitting there talking about some, some, some bullshit about Ronda Rousey being so fucking great. I remember that fucking clueless clown, Ronda, Ronda Rousey, one of the most overrated, hype, overhyped athletes of my generation. Why do you say that, Wendell? Because when you have to ignore, when people were ignoring the greatness of Serena Williams so they could talk about some bullshit of Ronda Rousey talking about she's so dominant, she's so great, she's so wonderful, she's so this, she's so that, that she would be a top five bantamweight in a men's division talking about she was supposed to be a role model for kids and all this kind of bullshit and this mental midget was sitting up there after she went down to Australia and got her head kicked off by Holly Holmes and then she goes on to the Ellis show and makes a complete fool of herself, a buffoon of herself by sitting there talking about oh my gosh you know after I lost the fight you know, I, I felt for a second like killing myself because now since I don't have the belt, who's going to be my friend? And, and, and you know, what, what saved me was I, take a look, I took a look at my now husband, Travis, and I said, boy, I better start having some kids right now. Yeah, because there's nothing that breaks the cycle of wanting to kill yourself than having kids. Yeah, that, 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 that makes you stable again. And then Rhonda, take a look, bitch. If you're talking about if you need friends, if you need a, a championship belt to have friends... Guess what? Those people who were going to leave you because you're no longer the champions, your quote-unquote friends, guess what? They were never your friends, dummy. So she goes on the um, Ellen show, makes a complete fool of herself. Oh, but that's, that's okay. She's supposed to be a role model for children. She's supposed to be a role model for young girls. She was going to be one of the leaders of the women's movement in a certain way in sports to you know uplift women and the younger generation and girls and all this kind of nonsense. Why? Because she was blonde-haired, halfway decent-looking and white. That's the only goddamn reason. Meanwhile, Serena Williams is doing everything Meanwhile, Serena Williams is dominant like nobody ever has in women's tennis outside of maybe Martina Navratilova or Steffi Graf, and no one's really paying attention to her. While Serena was at her hype, Anna Kornikova was making more money. When Serena was at her height, then uh, Maria Sharapova was making more money off the court, off the tennis court. Why? Because that perceived notion that if you're white, pale, blonde hair, blue eyes, and skinny then hey, if you're Russian, even better. So yeah, I can understand where Angel Reese is coming from with that nonsense. Pale, skinny, long blonde hair, blue eyes, and a beanpole, uh, and beanpole skinny with no curves whatsoever. That's what's supposed to be beauty for this country and for this generation or whatever. Now where Angel Reese was wrong in all that, so yes, there is a double standard. Yes, there are some obstacles. Yes. So those things that Angel Reese was talking about, those things do exist when you're talking about the racism, when you're talking about the stereotypes, when you're talking about the bigotry. Yes, those things do come into play. Where Angel Reese was wrong, in my opinion, was when she was talking about, uh, you know, um, from the hood, and this is the reason why I act this way, this is the re reason why I'm brash, this is the reason why I'm outspoken, this is the reason why I'm overconfident or self-confident, and this, that, and the other, and, 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 and confident enough in myself to show my personality, which is gregarious, which is larger than life, all these type of things. That, that really has very little to do with being from the hood or being from the ghetto or being from the black community. The, the, does your environment play a role? Well, well, yes, it does. Absolutely. But you know what's also a product of how she is? 
her genes. <laughs> I mean, that's just that's just who she is. So I, I I hate this. I hate this notion again, where you know you're 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 labeling. If you come from the hood, you gotta be outspoken. You gotta be brash. You gotta be bold. There's a lot of females. There's a lot of people out there, male, females, whatever, who don't have Angel Reese's uh, personality. They have her confidence. They have her self-confidence and everything, but they don't need to expose it. They don't need to uh, go out there and, and, and have that type of personality. And it had nothing to do with being from the ghetto. It had nothing to, to do with being from the hood. There's plenty of black girls. There's plenty of black boys. There's plenty of black men. There's plenty of black women who are successful human beings from the hood, from the ghetto, who don't act like Angel Reese. So, I mean, it's a situation where when you start stereotyping like, like that, you know, you have to remember the danger of our community. And, and we, we, are a, we, we are a community of many different groups of people. I mean, not, not all black folks act like Angel Reese. Not all black folks act that way, whether you're from the ghetto or not from the ghetto. And it doesn't make one person blacker than the other. It doesn't make them more real than the other. And, and sometimes we... we just not only us as a black community, but then it stems over to other parts of other communities. And they take that foolishness. They take that nonsense. They take that lie. They take that ignorance. And then they portray it in terms of labeling who is black and who ain't black from the other communities. Right? So I want to just make it clear that Angel Reese, her, her cockiness, her brat, and it's fine. It's fine. She's twenty flipping years old. It's fine that she acts that way. You know, I don't have any problem with it. That's the way she acts. That's the way she acts. It's not a. It's it's not merely um, something where um, this is from the ghetto. This is parenting. This is raising. This is all those things rolled into one. If 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 Angel Reese grew up in a really nice neighborhood, if Angel Reese didn't grow up in the hood, I'm quite sure Angel Reese would still be acting like the Angel Reese that we see today. So this is this is not something to where um, you know the the hood or the ghetto or the community and you know put this type of personality put this type of uh, uh, deal into her veins into her bones into her genetics to have her act like this. So that that's sometimes for my community we we have to be a little bit careful because that that that's how we get into the nonsense of starting to label people. That we're 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 trying to make those strides from being the, the the folks or being the community that said that, well, if you know how to read, if you are intelligent, if you are in articulate, if you are uh, interested in myriad of things uh, that do not include rapping, playing sports, singing, or or hanging out in the corner, that somehow, someway, you ain't really black enough. That somehow, someway, you acting white. If you can put two sentences together, then somehow you acting white. If you can go ahead and be successful and be able to mix and blend in with many other different cultures, then somehow, some way you ain't being black enough. If somehow, some way you ain't from the hood, then somehow, some way you ain't black enough. If you somehow, some way want to go to a college and you become a doctor or become a lawyer or something like that, then somehow, some way you have lost your way and you are not 
considered black. And the folks that are black are the ones that are hanging out on the street corner and ain't doing shit. That are hanging out in the ghetto talking about the white man has, let, has, has held me down and that's the reason why I ain't doing shit. That's the reason why I'm incarcerated. That's the reason why I'm not taking care of my kids. That's the reason why I don't have a job. That's the reason why I'm out committing crimes. All of that is quote-unquote keeping it real. That's the reason why I can't put two sentences together. That's the reason why I can't assimilate with other people. That's the reason why I keep where I'm at. You know, and if you think this, that, and the other, go read Malcolm X, baby, because Malcolm X was talking about the same damn thing. You know, so 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 we have to be careful. We have to be cautious. We have to be um, thoughtful when we start speaking about, you know, I'm, I'm this way and I'm being criticized, but I'm from the hood and I'm from the ghetto. So because I'm from the hood, because I'm from the ghetto, this is how you're supposed to act. Because you know what's going to happen. Both black and white folks, both communities, and we'll even throw in the Asians, we'll even throw in the Hispanics, they will take what Angel Reese said and say, well, you see, that's how black people are supposed to act. And it has hurt us. It has kept us down. And um, it comes from uh, both white folks and black folks when it comes to that nonsense. So it's not Angel Reese is not being the product of her environment only. She's a twenty. She's a twenty-year-old who's young and immature, like any other twenty-year-old. Regarding, regardless of what environment they're from, she's twenty years old. She's acting like that. Yeah, she's immature. She's twenty years old. I don't expect twenty-year-olds to act like they're forty. Now, if Angel Reese was st- is still acting like this when she's my age, and then we got a problem. And then that has nothing to do with environment. That's not a situation where I mean, I, I you, you can't act like Angel Reese. Um, 20 years down the line, uh, 10 years down the line, and sit there and say it's acceptable because I'm from the hood and that's how we act. No, when you're that age and you're from a certain environment and you have a certain personality and you're growing and you're learning, that's the way you act. That's acceptable. I have no problem with it. I don't care. Because hopefully um, she will not be acting like that in 5 years, in 10 years, in 15 years, in 20 years. And when she looks back, she'll still have that same personality to her, but it will be in a much more mature package. Thank God for growing up. But yeah, I don't expect any 20-year-old to act like they're 40 or act like they're 50 or act like they're 30 because they're 20. And then you put them in an environment like she's in in terms of being a basketball star, uh, being in college, being around people, hanging out with people her own age. What do you expect her to act like? Like she's 40? Like she's married with three kids? No, of course not. So hopefully she'll grow up and hopefully uh, she'll get better with that. Now, I want to get into one more thing when we're speaking about the criticism of Reese. Because many people, and rightfully so, it needs to be spoken about. It needs to be talked about when you're speaking about gen when you're speaking about uh, race and how race played into the um comments some of the backlash some of the criticism of angel reese and, and by the way um caitlin clark has also gotten her share of uh criticism maybe not to the degree of uh angel reese uh number one uh she's not a better trash talker than reese uh, she's not as outspoken. She's not is she's not as loud about it. She ain't as Medina about it as um, uh, uh, Angel Reese. Uh, but the, but there has been some there has been some uh, criticism of Clark. She hasn't gotten off scot free. That's one of the reasons. That's one of the things I found out about her. Oh, okay. But another thing that played a role into this conversation um, about 
acting and all this type of stuff. It's about gender. It's about gender. I mean, it's, it's hilarious to me, uh, the criticism of Reese, and it's like she's talking too much trash and everything. It, it's, it's hilarious because it's not just race, it's about gender. Because, again, there's this perceived stereotype that women, young women, are not supposed to act like they're... Like they're supposed to, act, they're supposed, they're not supposed to act like males. They're supposed to act like young ladies, right? They're supposed to act like women. And what are women supposed to act like for the longest of time? Especially when you're speaking about older generations, and maybe generations who are no longer living on this planet anymore, unless they're in their late 80s, early 90s, and before. You, you don't act like that if you're a lady. That's not ladylike. You know, the the men are supposed to be the ones that are supposed to be bouncing off the walls and the women are supposed to be the ones that are supposed to be the moral compass. The women are supposed to be the one that keeps everything in charge. The women are supposed to be the one that's supposed to be cool, calm, and collected in terms of keeping everything straight, right? So you, you so it's not ladylike to be talking shit. It's not ladylike to be talking trash. It's not ladylike. I mean, hell, we have a wrestler in the WWE, Becky Lynch, who refers to herself as the man why because she her character is she's bold and she's brash and she don't take no shit so obviously that is supposed to be like the man so we have this perceived perception of what um oh what the word i'm looking here not passable but we're supposed to what, what, what acceptable women are supposed to be like and they ain't supposed to be talking shit they ain't supposed to be talking trash. They ain't supposed to be walking with a bop. They ain't supposed to be walking with swag. They ain't supposed to be loud. They ain't supposed to be uh, those types. I mean, that's supposed to be for the men, right? And when you talk about men misbehaving, or when you talk about men uh, being cocky, that that's almost that that's almost a situation where you need that in male sports. One of our most celebrated athletes, one of our most celebrated people of all time, was Muhammad Ali. What was one of the things that made him great? It was his trash talking. What made Muhammad Ali, other than everything else that he did, but what brought him to prominence? What brought him to people's attention? What first laid the foundation for him to be loved or hated before he, before he changed his name from Cassius Clay to Muhammad Ali and joined the nation of uh, Islam? What, 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 what made him the focus? What made him a national prominent person? What made him... Uh, that that guy who would make that leap and would make that jump or would cross that bridge to become the person that he was. It was because of his outspokenness in terms of him being loud and obnoxious, the Louisville lip. And I know that was a long time ago, but I mean, that's just the forefront. Men have always been loud. Men have always been. That, that, that's one of the deals in terms of some of our greatest athletes. Hell. I mean, Conor McGregor, right? That motherfucker hasn't done shit in years in the MMA. But people are still gravitated to him because he's a fucking off-the-wall maniac who talks a lot of shit. So for the men, that's acceptable. For the men, that's cool. For the men, that's almost a desired skill to have if you're a male athlete. For women, that's not supposed to be that way. Women are supposed to be like Chris Everett. Women are supposed to be dainty. Women are supposed to be under control. Women are supposed to be that way. And so when they see a Angel Reese being so out there with her personality in terms of right in front of your face and being so bold and being so fierce and being so um, uh, right there, that attitude, that cockiness, it throws some older men, my generation, off guard.
throws some kind of to a tizzy, doesn't know what to make of it. So yes, gender plays a race. And I know another thing that played a race into all of this criticism with um, Angel Reese. It's because of the attractiveness. If Angel Reese was not as attractive, she's a beautiful girl. Just an absolutely beautiful girl. I don't, I kind of, I kind of resent the, the, the Bayou Barbie because, you know, Barbie was, you know, the, the, this white doll that was skinny, didn't have this, that, and the other. So um, I, I think maybe uh, we can try something else other than to compare her beauty to a Barbie. But she, she, she is absolutely a very, very attractive young lady. So when you're that attractive, I mean, almost model-like in her beauty, you're not supposed to be that bold. You're not, you're not supposed to be that outspoken. You're not supposed to be that brash. You're not supposed to be that, okay, perceived ghetto or hood. You're not supposed to be. If, 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 if Angel Reese, man, I'm sorry. If Angel Reese looked like Whoopi Goldberg and was shouting and screaming, if, 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 if Angel Reese looked like our perceived perception of a nappy-headed hoe, then her talking and her nonsense and her bullshit, it, it wouldn't be so spoken about. It wouldn't be so out there. And if Angel Reese was not only a gorgeous, gorgeous young lady, but also a damn really good basketball player, you, you know, if she was just an average basketball player with below-average looks, according to... Um, men, then, you know, her trash talking and all this other, other kind of stuff really wouldn't be that talked about. But because she is absolutely gorgeous, because she is a very attractive young lady, then that also comes into play. Because when you're that beautiful, you're not supposed to be acting like that. So I also think that's another reason why all of this was thrown into the pot. It wasn't just... Um, you know, Angel Reese being black and from the hood and acting ghetto and this, that, and the other, and white folks losing their minds. I'm quite sure there's an older generation of black folks who see how she's acting and it's kind of like, eh, turned off, and it had nothing to do. I'm quite sure there's older folks my age and older who are from the hood, who are from the ghetto, who are from the black community, who sit there and it's like, eh, you know what? Not my cup of tea. Wish he would tone it down a little bit. Not really into it. Not digging it. And they're using the same old tropes in terms of women aren't supposed to be acting like that. Beautiful women are supposed to be conducting themselves in a in another way. So you know, it's it's yeah. Are we gonna? It, 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 does racism or does race play a part in all of this? Absolutely. Of course, when you're speaking about the criticism, all of that stuff comes into play. But to mainly, I, I was a little bit, somewhat disappointed in the discussions where everything was so much centered about race. Yes, 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 yes. Race needs to be discussed. Absolutely. Man, I ain't no fucking Ron DeSantis piece of shit motherfucker where we're just going to try to erase that nonsense and, and, and pretend that it doesn't exist when it does. When it's still prevalent. When it still needs to be spoken about. When white folks and black folks and black folks and white folks need to get into a room and bring in the Asians and bring in the Hispanics and bring in the Muslims and bring in the Christians and bring in the atheists and bring in the gays and bring in everybody and speak about this shit when it comes to racism and race and all those type of things. It ain't a black and white conversation. Bring in everybody to speak about it. So yes, the, the, the Angel Reese, Caitlin Clark, 
situation based on race, stereotype, double standards, black women. Yes, all of that definitely, definitely needed to be discussed. We need to continue this discussion with maybe these two being the centerpiece of the discussion amongst the multitude of different races, races and cultures in this country. But I was also a little bit disappointed that we didn't hit the gender a little bit more. Because women are making strife. Women are a um, women are a neglected group. They are a discriminated group. Especially when you're talking about black women. So, so yes, I wish the double standard that existed with women um, in terms of this conversation, I wish that was also at the forefront and, and even with at the at the attractiveness level. I know that might be a little bit superficial for some and no big deal that they're together. But um, yeah, like I said, like, like I mentioned before, an ugly woman could act like Angel Reese and get away with it. When you're beautiful, you're not. And maybe you could say, well, you know, hey, I, I, would, I would rather be beautiful and have to deal with that nonsense rather than looking ugly and have to go through life being an ugly woman. Ah! <laughs> Hence, that's the reason why we need to have these discussions. So, yeah, man, how about that? Speaking about what's happening in the basketball world of uh, the, the basketball world of women's college basketball. But let me ask you this. Moving forward with this conversation, what will be the key? What will be the key for the sport of women's basketball to continue to elevate? And why will it probably have to come? Why, why, why probably when everything is all said and done, it will probably have nothing to do with how they perform on the court. You know, I think women's for, for the longest when we're speaking about women and having the ability in sports to really make a mark and try to move things, we, we, we've kind of looked at women's tennis, whether we're speaking about Althea Gibson, whether we're speaking about Billie Jean King, whether we're speaking about Martina Navratilova, whether we're speaking about uh, Annalie Moresmo. Well, whether we're speaking about the the Williamsons or sisters, Zena Garrison and such. Normally, when we equate the women's movement and where it's coming from sports, it's mainly drawn from the women tennis players because if you think about it, that uh, we, we usually equate women's tennis with probably the most popular sport that women play professionally or even collegiately. Right, I mean, yeah, there's skaters and yeah, there's um, swimmers and yeah, there's um, Olympic athletes and track and field stars and such. But I'm talking about on a consistent basis. The WTA, I think, that throughout time, has been one of the leaders in terms of sports for women's sports, who have helped in the conversation in terms of the the the, the movement, the evolution of women gaining rights in this country, even though they have a long, long way to go. Um, but again, women's basketball can be that can be that uh, contributor, a strong contributor. But then again, it's probably going to have nothing to do with how they perform on the court. I'll explain why. Wendell's World in Sports.
Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Riveting conversation, I might add, about what's happening in the sport of, of what's going on in women's uh, basketball, college basketball, Angel Reese, Caitlin Clark, and um, just speaking about, you know, what's happening in the world of sports surrounding what's going on Um all the controversy, I don't even know what you want to call it, controversy, criticism, I don't know. I don't know, but I was thinking about this, man. Here's a situation, okay? And, you know, women's sports have made leaps and bounds improvements in terms of getting themselves out to the masses. Now, I'll tell you this right now. Outside of women's tennis, not really digging women's sports. I don't hate it. Um, it just doesn't do me any interest. With that being said, who gives a flying fuck about what I like when it comes to women's sports, right? Because I'm not the judge, jury, and and, and sentence, and and having this, laying down the sentence when it comes to uh, women's sports. Hey, man, there's 9.9 million people, almost 10 million people watched the NCAA basketball championship game between LSU and Iowa. Who gives a flying fuck if I didn't watch? That's my, that's my problem. You know, I heard it was a good game and this, that, and the other. So, hey, you know what? If I'm not going to be on the bandwagon uh, when women evolve, well, then that's that's my problem. It had nothing to do with women. It had nothing to do with society. So when, you know, I always do the old, hey, you know what? I might not like this or I might not like that. Who get the flying fuck? So, uh, you know, good for uh, women's uh, um, sports evolving, getting more popular, this, that, and the other thing. But my thought is... What will women's basketball do with the spotlight now moving forward? And yeah, you know, criticism, hey man, the the only bad news is no news. So, you know, let me tell you something, man. I mean, you've got Angel Reese and you've got Caitlin Clark. You got them coming back next season. This year, this past year in women's college basketball, hey man, it was it was something else. They made some really good strides last year. Um, the viewership for the Women's Basketball Championship on ESPN, it increased 18% from the year before. This time, this season, for the first time ever, they put the Women's College Basketball Championship on regular television on ABC. And like I mentioned before, 9.9 million viewers absolutely destroying the record that has stood for almost two decades, 5.6 million people who watched the uh, 2002 championship game between UConn, who was then defeated, and Oklahoma. So, hey, man, you know, viewership was up throughout the tournament round by round, and even regular season viewership this year on ESPN increased by 11%. And, and here's another thing that um, we have to take a look at when we say this. There wasn't an Anna Kornikova type. There wasn't the, hey, let's just go ahead and just play the shallowest of shallow games. Let's find the female who we think is sexy, do the one that we would want to sleep with, the one that looks really good to us, and focus all our attention on her, even though she's a six-man, a six-woman who's averaging three points a game. No, the top performers and teams from this season, you're speaking about Caitlin Clark. You're speaking about South Carolina's basketball team going undefeated. You're speaking about Don Staley. You're speaking about Angel Reese. You're speaking about Haley and, and Hannah Cavender. You're speaking about Paige Buckners. Paige, Paige Buckners, that's my favorite. I love me some Paige Buckners. Not only can that girl play, um, the way she stands up for uh, our community and all that type of stuff, her, her willingness to learn and embrace, I absolutely love, love, love me some Paige Buckners. So, um, you know, Zeta Cook, 
Alexis Morris, all of these, all of these women now with a chance and with the platform. I, I made the comment a couple of years ago um, when they had the WNBA draft, and I had really nothing else to do, so I thought I'd just go ahead and watch the uh, WNBA draft. I was um, amazed. I was astonished about how beautiful these women were and how well-spoken they were and how classy they were. How, <laughs> and, and, and you know what? I bet you some of them were actually from the hood and from the ghetto. <laughs> and they were classy. They were beautiful. They were well-spoken. Now, Angel Reese is all of these. I know she's well-spoken and all this type of stuff, but none of them were up there. None of the girls who were, and I say, excuse me, none of the women who were drafted by the WNBA that I saw that year uh, went up to the camera and gave somebody the John Cena. They didn't go to Val Ackerman. I think, is Val Ackerman the, uh, she's not the WNBA commissioner, is she? I don't know, whatever. But, you know, no, no one no one came up to the uh, commissioner and, uh, you know, did the You Can't See Me or did the uh, Rock Bottom or, or or anything like that or did the 619 on them. I mean, no, no, nobody. They were just very classy and very beautiful and very well-spoken. I just said to myself, man, you know what? Good for the league. Absolutely excellent for the league. And these girls can play a mean game of basketball too. And now we have this cream of the crop that's going to be coming up in women's basketball, college basketball. College basketball is going to be a monster next year for for uh, uh, for the women. And you know, it it all starts with this um, this season. It really started with last season, and it moves on now to uh, this season and everything that happened in the uh, NCAA uh, tournament and the championship game, what can the women do? What can the sports do to use that as positive fuel moving forward? Basically, I think the centerpieces next season is going to, of course, center around two of the best players in college basketball for women. It's going to center around Caitlin Clark and Angel Reese. Can they do for women's basketball? And we're only speaking about college here, but but eventually, can Caitlin Clark and Angel Reese do for basketball for women and for the WNBA what Bill Russell and Wilt Chamberlain did for the NBA? What Magic Johnson and Larry Bird did for the NBA? Can Reese and Clark do next season what Bird and Magic did for college basketball and the NCAA tournament in general. Everybody speaks about the NBA or the uh, college basketball final, Salt Lake City, 1979, Bird versus Magic, 75-64, Magic Michigan State Spartans team over the Indiana State uh, Sycamores with uh, Larry Bird. They were trying to go 33-0 and or they were trying to go undefeated. Magic with Greg Kelser and Judd Heathcote at the, uh, at the coach uh, went ahead and won that game. And they said because of the interest, because of the viewership, because of the storylines, because of the excellence of Magic and Bird at that time, raised the game or raised March, March Madness. It was the starting point to where we see uh, March Madness today. Like we wouldn't be having... NCAA Final Fours in in stadiums. We wouldn't have CBS paying billions of dollars to um, show the NCAA championship games. We wouldn't have the venues for the first and second round. We wouldn't have the coverage if it wasn't for what Bird and Magic put into play to eventually get where we are right now. So in a small microcosm of a way, can Angel Reese and Caitlin Clark 
make that type of impact not only in the short term but also long term not just for the game of women's college basketball but also for the WNBA moving forward rivalries we speak about rivalries what makes sports so awesome what makes sports so great it's the rivalries the greatest rivalries in women's sports are normally confined to women's tennis. When you speak about Navratilova versus Chris Everett, when you speak about the Williams sisters, when you speak about Steffi Graf and Monica Seles, the most important part of the success in women's sports moving forward, of course, is going to be about how much do we, how much do we emphasize beauty, and also the way that they play on the court because you, you, you gotta eventually you gotta have both when it comes to women's sports right now hey i don't judge men on how they look that's not really my cup of tea if you do hey man more power to you but you know for the men's game for instance n- nobody is speaking about the men's game and commenting on how gorgeous lebron james looks or how handsome devin booker is or how sexy uh, uh, Nikola Jokic is. <laughs> I mean, if you're that type of person who does that, more power to you. But, but the game, what I'm saying is the game of basketball, the game of football, all, most of the male sports, they're not based on how someone looks. Okay. The, the NFL is not, is not hoping and begging for a, a football player where women can go nuts and crazy over in certain men can go nuts and crazy over because that's that's not part of the situation. That's that's not part of the show. That's not really the main part of the package on why you like male sports, right? You you, you don't like I mean you might think Roger Federer is a great looking guy when he was doing his thing, but that's not the reason why you're tuning in. That's not, not the reason why um that that's not enough to uh, advertise, hey, hey, hey ladies, Roger Federer is playing. Woo-hoo-hoo! I mean, that's 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 not the deal. I mean, you know, and not a situation where during the NBA playoffs that you know the the, the Brooklyn Nets are not going to be going and the starting lineup, a handsome, well chiseled, six foot seven from Villanova. Give it up, ladies, for Mikel Bridges. All right, now, now. It- it ain't gonna, it ain't gonna be that type of nonsense because in the men's game you just don't need it, right? You're you're not gonna see comments on Twitter or social media, you know, talking about damn Jimmy Butler looking sexy tonight, baby. That's what I'm talking about. Woo! Do you see that headband he's wearing mixed with those shoes? Oh my goodness! Mm. When that man runs up and down the court and you see his biceps flexing, woo, lordy! I mean, you're not gonna see it, <laughs> you're, or you're not gonna see too much of that. <laughs> In the game of men's sports, it just doesn't exist because it's all about, you know, it's all about how well they can play. I don't give a damn how ugly Joel Embiid is. I'm watching him play because that man is dominant and he can play some basketball. I don't give a damn how funny looking Kevin Durant is. I'm going to watch him play because he plays a mean game of basketball. I don't care. You know, I, I just don't. I, I don't care how funny looking Giannis Adenikupo is. That man can play some basketball, so I'm tuning in to watch him play. I'm tuning in to watch the Milwaukee Bucks play. I'm tuning in to watch Jason Tatum in the in the Boston Celtics play. Why? Because they're a damn good team. Not because I think any of those guys are sexy or attractive or anything like that. Bring that back to women's sports. Women do not have that luxury. Women, and maybe they can somehow use this to um, their advantage. Um, attractive level 
plays into the interest in the sport. So if you get a bunch of gorgeous looking women who can play who can play a mean game of basketball, then that's only going to help the sport. Now now how much then should we use that leverage? Because we don't want to we don't want to bring it overboard. And I, and I think the days of mainly going on and on about Anna Ivanovich or Anna Kornikova, where we would just somehow, some way, just talk about, go on and on about how beautiful they are. And it's like, all right, fellas, all right, all right, all right, ladies, they're playing tennis. Can we can we kind of focus on that and not just keep going on about how beautiful she is? I mean, okay, we get it; she's attractive, my, not my cup of tea. But can we just kind of focus on? Her playing tennis and the tennis game itself and not having to bring up. She's attractive looking. She's gorgeous. She's good looking. She was uh, one of the sexiest people alive and people and all this type of nonsense. You, you, you don't see that again. You don't see that in men's sports. You, you just don't. No one's going to be sitting there talking about Rudy Gobert. Seven feet of chocolate beauty. Of course, he's not going to be around. He's been... He's not playing for the. Uh, he's not playing against the Lakers um, tonight. But, but my, my my point is is that yeah, you know we can the women have a real chance because Caitlin Clark is a baller. Caitlin Clark can play, and Caitlin Clark has a swag in a way, and the way that they play, um, the way that she play, plays basketball. I hate to say it, but she plays the game like a man, and I don't know. When we need to stop using that as a positive, but she plays like a really, really good women's basketball player, which means that she's very entertaining to watch. And you can mix that in with some Angel Reese looking uh, females and this, these girls from um, these twins. Who did they play for? Did they play for Miami? I remember uh, um, Twitter going nuts over this woman or over this girl who played for. Uh, the University of uh, Miami. She's a good-looking good white girl, no doubt about it, but it was just like, eh, okay. But how, how much are they going to use? How much can women's sports kind of use that in terms of, yeah, they're beautiful, yeah, they're gorgeous, yeah, they're sexy, but uh, let's also forget, let's also not forget, they can also play a mean game of basketball. So, yeah, I'm going to watch um, Caitlin Clark and uh, play, not 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 because she's beautiful, but because she can play a mean game of basketball, and she's an awesome awesome basketball player. And, and, and when I say Caitlin Clark isn't beautiful, what I meant to say is she doesn't fit the profile of what beauty in this society is supposed to be. But we have a bunch of other players playing against her that that uh, that do look beautiful. And wait till uh, Caitlin Clark gets into the NBA. And uh, Skylar Diggins or whatever. And she puts 40 on her because she's much better looking than she is. Ooh, that's going to be something else. All right, man. So, yeah, women's college basketball. Four fronts. Getting it done. I'm going to keep with the basketball theme. I'm going to continue with the basketball theme because the NBA playoffs, they have started. And which team has the best chance to uh, upset either Milwaukee or Boston in the Eastern Conference? And we're up here talking about Golden State and the Lakers. Golden State and the Lakers. Of course, the Lakers, the Lakers, the Lakers. Do they really have a realistic shot when you're speaking about the Lakers and Golden State of winning the Western Conference and making it to the NBA Finals? Do they really? 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 Who you calling the bitch?
Everybody knows there's exceptions to this rule. Yeah. I don't be getting mad when we playing this cool. But don't you be calling me out my name. I bring crap to those who disrespect me like a dame. That's why I'm talking. One day I was walking down a block. I had my cut off shorts on, right? Cause it was crazy. I, I walked past these dudes when they passed me. One of them felt my booty, he was nasty. I turned around red, somebody was catching the rat. Then the little one said, Yeah, me, bitch. And laughed. Since he was with his boys, he tried to break fly. I punched him dead in his eyes. Who you calling the Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace, so glad that you could be with us, a lot of things to get down on and discuss today in the world of sports, the NBA playoffs have started full, so for, oh my goodness gracious, what, 40 games and 40 nights and all this type of nonsense, or um, 40 days and 40 nights or whatever, man, from now, I'm recording this on the 11th of April, all the way toward June, do not bug me, do not bother me, do not talk to me, do not ask me to do anything during the evening time, during the weekdays for the most part because I am going to be watching some NBA basketball playoffs. Eastern Conference playing game tonight on TNT going on right now as I'm recording this. Atlanta plays Miami. That game was on TNT. The winner of that game is going to go against the number two seed Boston Celtics in the first round on Wednesday. You have the number 10 Chicago Bulls going up against the Toronto Raptors. Can't wait to see. Always a wonderful atmosphere and environment when you're speaking about uh, when the uh, Raptors are in the playoffs. Same thing with the uh, Maple Leafs and the Blue Jays, any of the uh, professional sports teams in Toronto. When they make the playoffs, they're doing their thing. It's always a very exciting time up there, so they'll be playing the Chicago Bulls, the winner of that game on Wednesday between Chicago and Toronto, will play the loser of the game between Miami and Atlanta, and the loser of the game between Chicago and Toronto will be eliminated from the playoffs. The winner of that game will then play the winner, of, will then um, uh, be the number eight seed and be matched up against the number one seeded Milwaukee Bucks in the first round. So to uh, recap, just like I do at work for those who are a little bit slow on the take, Tuesday, we have Atlanta versus Miami. Let's just say, for instance, that Atlanta wins this basketball game. They're up right now. Let's go Hawks. If Atlanta wins this game, they will then play Boston at the number seven seed in the NBA first round playoffs of the Eastern Conference. Miami, because they would lose to Atlanta, they would then play the winner of the game on Wednesday, where it's Chicago versus Toronto. So the winner of Toronto versus Miami would then be the number eight seed and play against the Milwaukee Bucks. I want you to take some notes. I want you to study this very carefully because you never know when there's going to be a pop quiz on this biatches. So, uh, yeah, so the other first-round games in the Eastern Conference, you have the number three seed, the Philadelphia 76ers versus the Brooklyn Nets, number four seed, Cleveland Cavaliers versus your wonderful New York Knicks. Then in the Western Conference, the play-in tournament tonight, trying to get through this uh, podcast rather quickly and get myself something to eat, to sit back and relax the and relax and watch LeBron James and Anthony Davis go up against the Minnesota Timberwolves, minus Rudy Gobert and Jaden McDaniels. This jackass McDaniels decided that he was going to go punch a wall or punch something and break his hand. And then Rudy Gobert decided that he was going to punch Kyle Anderson in the chest because Kyle Anderson called him a uh, called him a bitch. Fuck you, bitch. So that didn't take well to the Frenchman. And um, when Rudy Gobert heard that, he said, Suck that beer! 
And then that uh, I will smack you I will punch you in the face And then I will steal your girlfriend Woody So uh, he just So um, there was a situation where Timberwolf said alright man go home Which is kind of a hilarious When you think about it because Everything that the Timberwolves did In this off season And everything that they gave up in the offseason to get um, Rudy Gobert to try to play that Twin Towers with him and Carl Anthony Towns never really fostered, never really took off the ground. Now, in one of the most important games of the season, Rudy Gobert has been sent home. So, there you go. But uh, the Lakers and the uh, Timberwolves tonight, after the Hawks and the Heat, the winner of that game, speaking about the Lakers and the Timberwolves, will play the number two seeded Memphis Grizzlies in the Western Conference first round. The winner of the game on Wednesday in the Western Conference between the Pelicans and the Oklahoma City Thunder, the winner will play the loser of the Timberwolves Lakers game, with of course the winner moving on to be the number eight seed and play the Denver Nuggets, the number one seed, in the first round of the uh NBA Finals or NBA First Round. So there you go. And taking a look at some of the other matchups in the first round in the Western Conference, you have the number three Sacramento Kings going up against the number six seeded uh, Golden State Warriors. Phoenix, number four versus the Los Angeles Clippers. So let's go ahead, man, and take a look at the storylines. You got about 10, 15 minutes to kill. So if we take a look at some storylines, as I go over some storylines for you, starting off in the Eastern Conference, as I mentioned before, who in the world? is going to challenge the Milwaukee Bucks and the uh, Boston Celtics. Now, most people are going to sit there and say the Philadelphia 76ers, they finished with a 52-27 uh, and 27 record. The Sixers have lost in the second round of the playoffs the past four times in the past five seasons. They were swept out of the bubble by the Boston Celtics. That's when we first saw Ben Simmons' heart pump and Kool-Aid. Uh, according to ESPN Stats and Information, Philly has gone 12 straight playoff appearances without reaching the conference finals, the second longest active drought in NBA. You know who they're trailing? They're trailing my Washington Wizards. Yeah! Love it! My Washington Wizards striving for the play-in game. Some teams, most teams, they strive to win a championship. Not Ted Leonis. Not uh, not, not uh, Tommy Shepard. No. Mm-mm. What we want to do is we want to get into that play-in game. Where's the banners? For us getting into the play-in game. That's our tournament. And if we can get into the first round by winning the play-in tournament. Man, when are we going to have the parade? The Washington Metropolitan D.C. area. Nothing but mediocrity. We strive for mediocrity. If you're the Washington Commanders, damn it, we're going to try to go 9-8 and eight every single flipping year. Who needs to draft? Who needs to trade for Lamar Jackson? We got Sam Howell, which is going to guarantee that we'll be average. What about my Washington Wizards? Let's go out and sign Bradley Beal to a supermax contract for him to miss important games of the season, and we'll re-sign Cal Kuzma. That will ensure, along with Christoph Porzingis, that we'll, we will be mediocre in a mediocre conference. Washington, D.C., the Metropolitan area, home of mediocrity when it comes to his most important professional sports in town. I digress. Back to Philadelphia in terms of the 76ers uh, doing something. The, the, the question is for the 76ers is this. How dominant does likely MVP Joel Embiid have to be for the 76ers to make a run? How, how much? I mean, here's a guy who for the first time and maybe three or four years has really been has really been healthy, 
This is a guy who this season led the NBA in scoring 33 points a game, almost uh, shooting 55% from the field, averaged 10 rebounds per game. In terms of all of the centers in the game, maybe even front court players in the game, with the minus of uh, Brook Lopez and Giannis, probably the most uh, the the best rim protector or best uh, defender as far as the big men are concerned. So uh, Joel has been the most dominant player in the game. He plays a very physical type of dominant play while Jokic is going to mentally think you out of uh, out of your game or he's going to slice and dice and fundamentally uh, put you into an embarrassing position to be torched for 35.17 rebounds and 15 assists and Giannis baby Shaq some will say but really a guy who can take the ball off the uh, glass on the defensive end go coast to coast euro step dip in a dip, dop, and dunk it. A guy who can go out and shoot the 15-footer with a little bit of dribble. Uh, Joel can do that too, but not with the fluidity of a Giannis Adenikupo. So th- th- we're all speaking about different types of games. Uh, more finesse for Jokic, uh, for Jokic. A little bit less of the power dominance of Giannis. So for me, the most dominant, the most, the the the, the best mixture of physicality, of intelligence of physical dominance and in fundamental skills for a basketball player. I think it best describes Joel Embiid. I think that he is the benchmark in terms of what, if you put together all of those aspects that I just mentioned, you put them all together in one, you come up with Joel Embiid, not Giannis, not Jokic, which is the reason why I think Embiid is going to be that guy that's going to win the MVP. And you think about storylines, whoops. I'm sorry, I'll save that for my next segment, the last segment of the program. But um, moving forward, how how dominant does Embiid have to be? Um, th- th- this is a guy, I mean, is he going to have to go for 40? Is he going to have to go for 35 and 17 every single night? Now, I'm not speaking about the Brooklyn Nets. I'm speaking about in the next round, they're going to play the Boston Celtics. They've had a bugaboo of a time to uh, beat the Celtics this season. And, and damn near did everything humanly possible to uh, almost give that game away near the end of the season in their only victory over the Boston Celtics. But, you know, Al Horford can stay, can't stay with him for any length of time. And then your other uh, um, your other uh, way of, of dealing with this is going to be putting Grant Williams on him. The other way of dealing with this is Grant Williams. The other alternative, that's the word I'm looking for, the other alternative is Grant Williams. Um, so you, you can't go with anybody else. So those, this is a situation where, you know, Embiid gets rolling. We're going to be speaking about a situation where he could almost single-handedly wreck that series for the Boston Celtics, especially a team like the Celtics who relies so much on the three-point shooting. Maybe not to the level when Rudy Tomjanovich was, not, when uh, um, Mike D'Antoni was coaching the Houston Rockets, and they just all they wanted to do was shoot three after three after three. But for the Boston Celtics, sometimes it damn sure looks like that's what they're trying to uh, mimic. So um, it's a situation where if the threes are not falling, and Boston really does not have an inside presence, um, Tatum is not what you would call a consistent driver to the basket. I think Jalen Brown is a much more effective and much more um, willing player to drive to the basket and get fouls. What happens if the three-point shots aren't falling for Boston? It gives Embiid and in the, in the 76ers that chance. How dominant does Embiid have to be? How much help is he going to get? And, and, and what about James Harden now? 
James Harden is going to be another guy. What can we expect from him in the postseason? Because this season is going to be a little bit different. Now, the, 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 the James Harden that kept coming up small time after time after time when he was the franchise player for the Houston Rockets, Philadelphia doesn't need that James Harden. Philadelphia does not need the James Harden that they said, hey, man, we, we need you to be dominant. We need you to be the best. We need you to do for you to do that over a seven-game series, night after night, quarter after quarter, possession after possession. The 76ers don't need that James Harden. James Harden is no longer able to produce those type of moments, even if he wanted to. But the situation is going to be, how much can James Harden be a reliable, dependable, trustworthy, 1C type player? If Joel's going to be 1A, or if Joel is going to be number one with a bullet, we don't need James Harden to be 1A. If Joel Embiid is going to play like like Shaq, James Harden doesn't have to be Kobe. James Harden doesn't have to be um, Manu Ginobili or Tony Parker to Joel Embiid's Tim Duncan. He just doesn't. But he needs to be really, really good. So now, with the onus not put on James Harden to say, you got to be great, you got to be the man, you got to be the face and all these type of things, with him not having that responsibility of, uh, anymore, how much of a weight does that put off of James Harden's shoulders and allows him to play much better basketball? Look, he led the league in the city. He had a very well-effective, well-rounded season this year. Averaged 11 points, uh, averaged uh, 11 assists per night, averaged 21 points per game. Situation where he shot 14 times. That was probably the lowest of his career um, since his days in Houston, or probably since his days in Oklahoma City, excuse me, when he was the sixth man playing for the Oklahoma Thunder back in 2011 2012, his last season with the uh, Oklahoma City Thunder. So, how, how much of Harden are you going to need? if the Celtics and the 76ers play in that second round of the playoffs. When is, what about Doc Rivers? Doc Rivers is another guy who's almost like, come on, man. You know, you got to show me something here. I mean, you can't live off 2008, 2009, whenever the Celtics last won a championship with the Rivers and KG and PG or, or uh, Paul Pierce and uh, Ray Allen. You, you, you can't be living off that anymore, being one of the elite great coaches in the game. That was a little while ago. What have you, do, what have you done for, late, for me lately? Not much. Not much. So for Doc, this is another um, important series uh, for him. Um, Tyrese Maxey, can he be the best can he be the third best guy on a team that can win a championship? Um, all of those things are going to be are going to have to come to fruition for the Philadelphia 76ers to have a chance. And then after that, I mean, you're speaking about Cleveland is way too young to be doing anything. I mean, Donovan Mitchell showed when he was in Utah that he can't be that guy to be the best player on the team to uh, beat a uh, higher seed or a or a team that is expected to win a championship. So I don't expect even the backcourt of Donovan Mitchell and Darius Garland to really pose a threat when you're speaking about going up against Boston, when you think about going up against Milwaukee, um, the um, New York Knicks. Um, you know, not really much of a season from R.J. Barrett, but the um, progression of Emmanuel quickly, the, um, the, the the improvement of his game, uh, coming in late, really doing some great things. Uh, but Julius Randle, are you going to rely on him in the playoffs to do what he needs to do to be that guy? Again, 
forget getting past the Cleveland Cavaliers, but then to move on and face the Milwaukee Bucks. So I, I, I just don't see another team. I mean, let's not even talk about um, let's not even talk about Brooklyn. Let's not even talk about uh, the winners of these play-in games. So it's going to come down to, I believe, it's going to come down to Boston, and it's going to come down to Milwaukee, and that's going to be a hell of a series, man. You have you have uh, you know really some really really good stuff. In that series, so I'm, I'm going to be I'm going to be interested in moving forward, though, to see if anybody is going to give any type of run to uh, Milwaukee. Exploit, exploit the fact that I think the only weakness I see in Milwaukee is not having that off-ball shooter or that off-ball creator. Now, Holiday can do that, but he's a little bit inconsistent. He's more of a defensive guy, more of a defensive player type guy. Middleton coming back from uh, injury. But, uh, you know, you have Holiday, the head of the snake in terms of defense is concerned. If they get by Holiday, then they have to deal with Giannis and they have to deal with uh, Lopez, the back end of the uh, of that front court. So, yeah, man, and you have you have Giannis averaging 31 points on 55% shooting, almost 12 rebounds and almost six assists per game, which is the first player to put up those type of numbers since Wilt Chamberlain, since Wilt Chamberlain-Easy. It's going to be interesting in the first round of the Western Conference if we can see, especially speaking about Philadelphia, if they are really going to be a threat uh, in the next round going up against uh, Boston and then being a threat against Milwaukee. Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you can be with us. Also thinking about, man, I am thinking about the Western Conference, and we start thinking about the Los Angeles Lakers, we start thinking about the Golden State Warriors, everybody was circling, everybody was playing, everybody was rooting, everybody was trying to get into that number six seed to play the Sacramento Kings as soon as Sacramento locked down the uh, number three position in the Western Conference. What does that say about the Western Conference? What are we talking about when you have the top three teams that's all like suspect, that's all like, eh. You take a look at the top two teams in the Eastern Conference in a, with a bullet, Milwaukee and Boston. You take a look at Denver, eh, you know, they've been a little bit soft. Mike Malone has been talking about softness. Mike Malone has been talking about, you know, I want some guys who are going to uh, basically play hard and do some things with me. I want, I want that type of play. I want that, you know, how, how much should we take into a little bit of a swoon near the end of the season when Denver already pretty much secured the number one spot in the uh, in the uh, playoffs in the Western Conference. How much should we take the calf injury for Nikola Jokic? How much of that is this? Look, man, you know what? I, I, I'm thinking a lot has to deal with Jokic going, look, man, I am so fucking sick and tired of dealing with this MVP bullshit. Just fucking rest me. You know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not, Joel, give it to Joel. I've won two. Giannis have won two. Just give it to Joel. And I, I don't want to deal with this bullshit. I don't want to deal with this nonsense. So how, how much did that play into, look, we're, man, we're just, we're just going to coast. And then we can turn it on. And whether you're playing, um, whether you're playing the Lakers, whether you're playing Minnesota, whether you're playing the um, New Orleans Pelicans, who are going to be playing without Zion Williamson, missing the entire year after playing only 27 games. Um what are we doing here? Speak about that on another podcast. But um, whether you're whether you're playing um, whether you're playing one of the teams from the playing games, I mean, for Denver, there's enough time to turn back on that switch and get used to the fact that they're not going to turn it off. So, should we pay more attention to the Denver Nuggets that jumped out to the big lead that was playing like 
uh, one of the best teams in the NBA when they had to? Or how much are we going to put into the stock to where once they got into that position, they kind of started to trail and started to take things off? How much How much are we going to put into that? How much are we going to put into Denver is just a really good um, regular season team, but when it comes right down to it, um, they're really not that for the Western Conference, especially when you're speaking about teams that have won NBA championships, a dynasty, a recent dynasty in the Golden State Warriors, and the greatest player of his generation, plus LeBron James, Anthony Davis, a team with the Los Angeles Lakers that have recently won an NBA championship. So, in the Western Conference, man, all of that stuff is for real. So, so I'm just I'm just thinking, man. When you when you think about the Western Conference, when you think about the Sacramento Kings, when you think about the Memphis Grizzlies, who John Morant was talking about, remember earlier in the season when they were speaking about, hey, John, who's the team that you fear most in the Western Conference? And he said the Boston Celtics. Okay, okay. Now some of this bullshit that the Memphis Grizzlies do. Speaking about you, Dylan Brooks, that bullshit ain't going to be. It's not going to be um, tolerated in the, in the NBA playoffs because of his technical situation. Look, man, you can't be doing that type of bullshit, Dylan Brooks. You can't be stirring up the pot. You can't be being dirty. You, you have to keep your head into the game. And all of this shit, all of this talk, all of this Angel Reese uh, attitude and cockiness that the Memphis Grizzlies had been excluding, had been, had been talking about all season long, uh, Time to put up or shut up. Time to put up or shut up. Because if you don't win now, shut up. Now, I expect if the Lakers win tonight, that yes, I think that they will go and play the Memphis Grizzlies. Memphis should win that game. Memphis should win that game. No no question about it. No doubt about it. So if that's going to be the case, if Memphis, if you're really as good as you guys say you are and how you act on the court, champions of none, then don't give me some bullshit about the Lakers winning against Minnesota, moving into the seventh spot, and being competitive in a six or seven game series against the Los Angeles Lakers. Because as much as you have LeBron, speaking about the Lakers, as much as you have LeBron, as much as you have AD, as much as AD has elevated his game, as much as the team has been bolstered, bolstered, by the uh, mid-season trades, bringing in D'Angelo Russell and Malik Beasley and such, you should not be beating the uh, you, you should not be beating the Memphis Grizzlies if you're the Los Angeles Lakers. You just shouldn't. And if again, if you're the Memphis Grizzlies, then you should not. I don't. I don't care if Brandon Clark is out. I don't care about Stephen Adams not playing. I don't care about any of that stuff. If you are as good as you say you are. If Morant wants to strut around and act like he's hood and act all this kind of bullshit and do all this kind of nonsense, if Dylan Brooks wants to act like a thug on the court and do all this type of stuff, if they want to talk all of that shit, then fucking prove it on the court, Memphis. It'll be interesting. If you do, then hey, man, kudos to you. There you go. Nice job. But again, they play if they play L.A., um, statement game, statement series, shall I say, uh, for Denver. If they can do what they're supposed to do and beat the Lakers in five games and beat them handily. So those are the things they're going to be looking at. And all these people talking about the Lakers, people talking about the Golden State Warriors. Yeah, you know, when the starting five, when the starting five for Golden State is on the floor, when you speak about the Golden State starting five, we're speaking about Kevon Looney, Andrew Wiggins, Draymond Green, Clay, and Steph. 
When you're speaking about these guys on the court, oh yeah, you know, they're plus 112 for 100 possessions and all this kind of stuff. Hey, look, man, here's the problem with Golden State. Yes, um, Clay has got Clay has got his shooting stroke back. Um, Steph is still Steph. But A, they can't win on the road. B, they can't defend anybody on the road. And C, they don't have home court advantage for any of the playoffs. So let's just say, for instance, they do beat the um, Sacramento Kings because Sacramento does not have that experience. And Sacramento has done a very good defensive team either. Sacramento brought in Mike Brown to uh, shore up their defense. He improved their offense and their defense got a lot worse. Even though, I mean, when you have Sabonis, when you have De'Aaron Fox, when you have um, the, the makeup of talent, that's the Sacramento Kings. You, you can't expect them to all of a sudden hold it down on the defensive end like you would want it to. But, um, you know, if the, the, the Warriors, everybody speaks about the return of Andrew Wiggins. Man, what, what are we going to be getting from Andrew Wiggins? Because for people who think that Andrew Wiggins is going to step back on the court and play at the level that he did in the Western Conference Final, then move on and play like he did against Boston in the NBA Finals, I don't think that Andrew Wiggins is going to be happening, at least not for the short term. You can't miss as many games as Andrew Wiggins did and then come back and reach that level of uh, of, of performance. You just, you just can't do it. So, you know, everybody is going to go on the assumption that, okay, Andrew Wiggins is coming back, so that means, what does that mean? How many minutes? You can't go out, you can't miss as many games as Andrew Wiggins has missed this season in a row consecutively and then go out there and expect to play 35 to 38 minutes and be that defensive stopper and be that uh, player that he was last uh, season in the playoffs. You can't expect that from him. So what are we talking about here? A team in Golden State who can't win on the road, a team who can't play any defense, a team that has some problems rebounding all on the road. And again, they don't have home court advantage. Just because you have Clay, just because you have Steph, just because you have the DNA of a championship from last season. Hey, look, man. And just because they're playing in a mediocre Western Conference, that that still is a situation. Well, if the if the Western Conference is so mediocre, what is Golden State doing with one of the worst records in the league as far as playing on the road? The only teams that were worse were the Houston Rockets and the San Antonio Spurs. So all of a sudden now, all of that is going to be rectified. All the fa- all of a sudden now, the fact that they have an undersized center. Is going to be rectified. All of a sudden now, the um, poorest defense that they show on the road, all of a sudden now, that's going to be rectified. Just like that. So they were coasting. The Warriors were coasting. They weren't giving a damn during the regular season. Now all of a sudden, Andrew Wiggins is going to come back full bore. And all of a sudden, they're going to be able to rebound. They're going to be able to play defense. We know what Steph and Clay are going to do. That's pretty consistent. But but I'm just kind of curious on how people just say, oh, yeah, Warriors won a championship this year, uh, last uh, season, so they'll be fine. Uh, okay, if you say so. No, I'm not saying that. Um, I'm not saying that the Warriors are going to get swept in the first round. Would it surprise me if they beat the Sacramento Kings? No, but then to move forward and make it to the Western Conference Finals or even win the Western Conference. Look, man. Again, I you know questions surround abound about Nikola Jokic and the Denver Nuggets and Jamal Murray, and Mike Malone. The key players, Aaron Gordon, the key players on how the Denver Nuggets are going to do. They have not answered that question yet. Jokic, for as great as he is, he has not answered that question yet. Can he be that guy? 
that can win a championship for a team. He can win an MVP regular season, but can he elevate his game even more? Because it's not like he James Harden his playoff, his NBA playoff appearances. He's done quite well. I mean, he basically ruined the career for Montrez Harold when they played the um, when the Nuggets played the Clippers in the um, in the in the bubble. I mean, he took his money, he took his pride, he took his took everything away from him the way that he used and abused him. Um, so yeah, but 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 still, can he be that guy? And then looming through all of this, we speak about the Lakers, we speak about the Warriors, we speak about the teams from the bottom coming up. And we almost forget to mention the Phoenix Suns. Kevin Durant is back. Chris Paul, as of right now, is healthy. We don't know how long that is going to last. But right now, he is healthy. And um, and Devin Booker is playing at a high level. Now, Booker, we can book in terms of... Uh, him being pretty pretty reliable, even though he missed some time in the uh, New Orleans series uh, last uh, playoff uh, run for uh, Phoenix last uh, last season in the playoffs, we we can pretty much surmise that he's going to be a okay uh, to play the number of games he needs to play for the Suns to win a championship. Are you going to put your stock into Chris Paul? Are you going to put your stock into Kevin Durant? I put my stock more into Kevin Durant than I do Chris Paul because it seems like at the most un in unopportune times with Chris Paul, that man, whether he was playing with uh, uh, Houston or with um, or with uh, Phoenix, always seems in the playoffs to get injured. And Chris Paul, as we know, like every other human being or every other person living on this earth that's been created by God, is getting older, not younger. And when you get older. It makes it a little bit more, you make you are more susceptible to injuries as such. So I'm just waiting for that other shoe to drop in the playoffs. It could be the conference finals. Hell, it could be the NBA finals. But somewhere, somehow, history has told us that Chris Paul is going to miss some time in the playoff because of injury. I hope that doesn't happen. It happened to him when he was with the Clippers. It happened to him when he was with the Houston Rockets. The longer the series goes on, the likelihood of Chris Paul being injured, pulling a hamstring, spraining an ankle, whatever, um, re-aggravating an injury that caused him to miss some time during the regular season is going to flare up at the most inopportune time that's going to cause him to miss some games. And if you don't have Chris Paul, and if you don't have, if you don't have Kevin Durant, Chris Paul, Chris, uh, and uh, Devin Booker available for the playoffs. The Phoenix Suns ain't going nowhere. I don't give a damn about DeAndre Ayton. The fact that they don't have a bench that they can really rely on. Any one of those guys miss, missing, Chris Paul, Durant, or Booker, I just feel that uh, they don't have uh, a great opportunity uh, to win the Western Conference. Now, on the other hand, if those guys are playing well, if those guys are remaining healthy, and of course, I shouldn't say playing well, if they're playing well, of course, they're going to have an excellent chance to win the um, Western Conference. Duh. But what I'm saying is if they can mesh, if they can uh, play at a... Oh, there I go again. I'm sounding stupid. If they can mesh and um, if they can uh, play at a high level, hey, man, the Phoenix Suns, despite the fact that they don't have any kind of bench, despite the fact that somehow, sometimes they might have to have uh, uh, some one of their bench players, Cameron Payne or whatever, be a star for five or ten minutes, I think it's a situation where... Um, 
yeah, man, the Phoenix Suns, dangerous. So uh, look out for them. More so than the LA Lakers or the um, Golden State Warriors. So there you go, man. So I was I was speaking about the NBA. I was talking about the NBA MVP, right? I was, I was going ahead. I was talking about, you know, the reason why Jokic was shutting it down and under DeCoupo putting up uh, numbers uh, last put up by um, Wilt Chamberlain and all these things. I'm going to tell you why, really, the MVP award should go to Joel Embiid. It had to deal with storyline, storyline, and history. I'll explain. Yeah, man, I'm going to explain. Last segment of the podcast. Last segment of the program, Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. I am going to be speaking about... You know what? I really didn't even discuss Major League Baseball and my relationship with baseball. Table it, save it. Uh, plenty of time to be speaking about baseball, my relationship and all that kind of stuff. But thank God for the shot clock, or thank God for the pitch clock, has renewed my interest in watching baseball. Because before then, it was like, man, I can't take this shit no more. If I have to see another Latino pitcher take 10 fucking minutes, if I have to see another, if I have to see another Latin American baseball reliever take 10 fucking minutes every time he throws a baseball, I'm going to say, ah, caramba, and uh, do something else. But, um... Yeah, I will uh, get to uh, baseball on my next podcast because unless something happens to Lamar Jackson being traded, I'm not talking about it. Um, MVP, MVP of the league. Of course, people are going back and forth with this. Who should I vote for? Who is the uh, winner? Should it be Jokic? Should it be Ender DeCupo? Should it be Trey Young? And uh, um, um, should it be a uh, Joel Embiid? Yes, all of those names are fantastic. Yes, all of those guys are deserving. You, you, you think about it. The best seasons for each one of those. Antetokounmpo won the MVP twice. He had his best season this season. Jokic has won the last two MVPs. He had his best season this season. Almost a damn near triple-double. I mean, basically, you round it off, he averaged a triple-double. Uh, Embiid, again, staying healthy for the most part. For Joel Embiid, staying healthy. And being the most dominant player in the uh, in the NBA in terms of his physicality, in terms of everything else, each one of those guys, each one, deserves the MVP consideration, strong MVP consideration. So why am I going to give it to Joel Embiid? Why should you not give it to Nikola Jokic? And I spoke about history, and I spoke about one of the reasons why maybe you can't give it to Nikola Jokic. It's because of their history or because of the history with um, the players that Jokic would be joining if he did win his third MVP. 
You know the only players in NBA history who have won three straight MVPs? Do you, do you know that? Do you? Do you? Do you? Do you? Wilt Chamberlain, Bill Russell, Larry Bird. Those are the only players in NBA history who have won three MVPs in a row. Players who have not accomplished that feat. Michael Jordan, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, LeBron, Jerry West, Tim Duncan, Oscar Robertson, Magic Johnson, Steph Curry, Bob Pettit, Elgin Baylor, Shaquille O'Neal, Kobe Bryant, Moses Malone, Rick Barry. What I'm saying is some of the greatest of the great, some say the greatest of all time, have never won three MVPs in a row. So if you're going to put Jokic at the MVP this season, which would make three in a row, is Jokic deserving of being in the same company as such distinguished legends as Russell, Chamberlain, and Larry Bird? Now, I, I, I tell you what. I think if the Denver Nuggets, if one of the, over the last two years, if the Nuggets would have made the NBA Finals, if the Nuggets would have won an NBA championship, if the Nuggets would have at least make it to the, the Western Conference Finals, I truly believe that Nikola Jokic would be the MVP for the third straight year. If over the last two years, Denver would have won a championship and, and Jokic was the reason for it. But man, when you speak about the accomplishments, when you speak about the legendary stature, when you speak about everything that those three guys, Chamberlain, Russell, Bird, have done, and you say, we're going to slide in Nikola Jokic? What? Huh? Seriously? I think that plays a role. And I really do. And I think it's all about storylines. Look, Giannis is one too. Jokic is one too. Over that same period of time, Embiid has been on the same level as those guys. So how can you not give it to Embiid? It's, it's almost by default. And it's not a situation where Embiid is backing into the award. He has won. He has earned the right to be named the MVP of the league. So this is not something where it's going to be uh, solely based on, well, you know, storylines and let's just give it to Embiid. Fuck it. No, 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 no. No, Embiid has, has earned it. But I think, again, when you take a look at the company that you're willing to put Nikola Jokic in, in terms of three straight MVPs and the name, the legends that I just mentioned, I think that's a tough pill for a lot of guys to say, yeah, let's go ahead and do that. I'm going to end with this, man, because the Laker game is about to start, and I'm going to end with this. Now, what the hell is going on? What the hell is going on with the Dallas Mavericks, man? Isn't it hilarious? Isn't it interesting? And look, I'm not going to say it ain't all Kyrie's fault, okay? But it's funny that the Brooklyn Nets are in the playoffs and the uh, Dallas Mavericks are out of the playoffs. And it's funny the fact that I believe the Mavericks were around 7 and 16, somewhere around there, when both Luka and Kyrie Irving played. Now, what do you do? Because now there's there's, there's panic in, in, in Dallas about Luka, who had three years. I believe he had three years or five years. I don't know. Basically, he has a couple of more years left before he starts saying, hey, you know what, man? Um, this ain't working. Get me out of here. And it's a, it's a period of time where Dallas has to be serious about it because you can't have a player going into his last two years or so talking about when I'm a free agent, I'm going to get out of here. I'm not re-signing. 
You can't do that. So, you know, it's basically, you know, free agency for superstar players, franchise players, all-time great players when they're playing right now, a.k.a. Luka Doncic. Normally, really, there's free agency starts a couple of years before they actually hit free agency. Because, again, if he goes in a couple of years and says, hey, you know what, man, uh, this ain't working out. I don't believe in the organization. You haven't done anything for me. If he if he pulls an Anthony Davis and says, yeah, so when it's time for me to uh, to uh, resign, I ain't resigning. If he, if he does a Carmelo Anthony, what he did in uh, Denver, Dallas is going to have no choice but to seriously, seriously consider trading him. And um, that should leave Dallas Mavericks fans feeling very, 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 very worried. Now, Luca at the end was like, hey, man, I'm very happy here, this, that, and the other. And Luca, I don't think, is a guy who wants to start controversy. And I, and I believe what he says. I'm not going to read into him saying, I'm very happy here, and then call him a liar. I don't know. I've never talked to Luca. I've, I, I, don't, I don't know the man. I don't have any insight into, into that. So if he says he wants to be there, then I guess he's going to be there. But, I mean, this situation moving forward is going to have to be closely monitored because, basically, the um, Dallas Mavericks intercoursed themselves by making this Kyrie Irving trade. They, they got desperate. They made a trade. Now they're left with a team that's barren of talent, that doesn't have anybody that can play any defense. Now you're going to be at the mercy of Kyrie Irving because you can't have him leave anywhere. And I know there's not a bunch of suitors for Kyrie Irving right now, but... If LeBron says, get me Kyrie Irving, then I don't know, especially if you're speaking about what happens with the Lakers. And yes, I understand that the Lakers would probably have to gut their entire roster, the trades that they made at the trade deadline to fit the salary of Kyrie Irving. But LeBron has always been about, hey, man, give me a guy, give me give me two stars, two superstars, two perceived superstars around me and let me do my thing. He did it with Kevin Love and Kyrie Irving. He did it with Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh. He did it with uh, first Anthony Davis and now he's looking for a superstar he tried it with Russell Westbrook that didn't work so what is stopping him from saying go ahead and get me Kyrie Irving he won't act up because I know this guy he played with me I can keep him under control and the talent from Kyrie Irving is tantalizing so you know if you're the Mavericks you're gonna you, you, you cannot there's no way you make that trade for Kyrie Irving if you're not going to re-sign him. You don't trade away not only one of the best perimeter defenders in the Western Conference uh, in Dorian Finney-Smith, but also one of Luka's closest friends on the team. You don't trade him away. You don't let Rick Brunson go away for, for, for nothing and then make that up by signing Kyrie Irving for half a year and then letting him walk. You don't do that. You don't give up all the draft capital. You don't give up all the things that you gave up to get Kyrie Irving to have him walk after the team basically tanked the last game of the season. You don't do that. So if you re-sign Kyrie Irving, that's, you, you have sold your soul to the devil, my man. I'm not calling Kyrie Irving a devil, but I'm telling you, you have um, full gone full bore and to the Kyrie Irving experience, and I wouldn't experience that experience for any kind of experience. I'm telling you that right now. So just a very, very weird time for uh, Dallas in just the end of the season. Luca, um, you know, talking about he was worn out from the uh, offseason when he had to play for Slovenia uh, during the Eastern uh, European Championships and uh, or during the European Championships and just a load that he had to carry for the Mavericks just on a regular basis. And then the 
uh, personal situation that's going on in his life, which is um, impeding some of his uh, love for the game and some of his effectiveness. Uh, so it's uh, it's a situation where it's going to be interesting with the Dallas Mavericks moving forward. Okay, um, let me see. The game is about to start between the Lakers and the Minnesota Timberwolves. So let me go ahead. Let me uh, see what's happening with this game. Um, oh, they just showed Rudy Gobert punching Kyle Anderson in the in the in the chest. Well, Kyle Anderson shouldn't be saying "fuck you, bitch." If I went up to you and I said "fuck you, bitch," now would you punch me in the chest? I wish you would. Shit, no, I'm joking. But I mean, it's like, hey, man, I'm Rudy fucking Gobert. You don't fucking tell me to go fuck myself. You understand what I'm saying, homeboy? Um, I want to thank everybody for listening to the program. Download, subscribe. Um, most importantly, enjoy. And most importantly, man, let's see what we can do to um bring this world closer together. Learn from somebody, listen to somebody, um, speak to somebody different from you so you can become a better human being, so that person can be a better human being. Steal some of their shine. Steal some of their shine. Give some of your shine away. It's all about what we can do to help each other, right? Right. Wendell's World of Sports, Wendell Wallace. Get me out of here with some music. Music.